It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is producer, director, choreographer, entertainer, playwright, and songwriter, Eric Jordan Young, who takes the stage in In This Moment at the Space in Las Vegas with renowned pianist Philip Fortenberry to share songs, personal stories, and career highlights. Saturday, March 13th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time and also streamed live. For ticket information, go to thespacelv.com. And for everything about Eric Jordan Young, go to ericjordanyoung.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Eric Jordan Young. And Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad that uh, we are able to, to connect and, and have this moment. Yes, and the fact that I have three names and you have three names, that makes it even more simpatico. <laughs> I like that. that. So I, I, let's start out with why you chose to live in Las Vegas and work in Las Vegas, because you are a man of, not, I won't say the world per se, but you've been in New York and Los Angeles, you're everywhere, and you have your own company, Enjoy. How did you end up in Las Vegas? What made you decide to put your roots down here? Well, actually, the first time I came out to Las Vegas was uh, I was doing a tour of a musical called Dreamgirls back in 1993, I believe, and we played the Aladdin Hotel. And so I had my first Vegas experience here and I absolutely was enthralled and I thought the city was magic and the entertainment offerings were incredible. And uh, then I left, you know, and, and went and did some other things in New York. And then a couple years later, I was um, asked to come back to do Starlet Express. So I had two years of have living in Las Vegas here back in 94 through 96. And then I went to New York for several years. And then another opportunity came up to do a production called Vegas the Show, which is now about 11 years old. So um, this upcoming spring will be my, I think, 11th anniversary for living in the Las Vegas area. And I just, I fell in love with it the first time I was here. I loved the opportunities that entertainers are um, given here. And I just think that the entertainment landscape is different from anywhere else in the world, and and I just like being a part of it. So somehow, when I was ready, when I had the opportunity to leave, I just didn't want to leave, and and now I'm still here because <laughs> yes. I love it. And also, too, it's a great base of operation, so you can fly to New York or Los Angeles and do work there as well, but still be based here. It really is. It's a it's a wonderful. Uh, you know, you can have a, a lifestyle out here that is very different from um, living in New York or L.A. And, and I just really like the lifestyle that I can can maintain here. It's nice. You can breathe. You can breathe. You have space. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I drive. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was something you said in an earlier interview that I saw, and you may have changed your opinion by now, and I don't know how far back the interview went, but you were talking about the difference between New York and Las Vegas, you said in Las Vegas, some people kind of cheer for you to fail versus, I'm paraphrasing here, cheer for you to fail versus succeed, whereas in New York, they cheer for you to succeed rather than fail. Is that still kind of your take on it? Or is that, am I mischaracterizing what you, what you said in that interview? No, I, that, that's amazing that you bring that up. Um, that was that was several years ago. But I, I do feel that there is 
a, a kind of um, an energy that comes in the community where people here are just, you know, heralding you for your successes. Whereas in, in a lot of other cities, they're oversaturated with the pursuit of being famous or being an entertainer or an actor on Broadway or, or um, you know, getting a TV show, getting a film, getting, you know, the opportunity to sing with someone special that you may admire. It just seems like the fight is much more intense in other places. And um, therefore, the competition kind of, you know, supports you in your failures and, and other others support you in your successes. So I, I do still agree with that. And um, I think Las Vegas is a place that supports the successes. So, yeah, it's an interesting observation, something I hadn't encountered before from a lot of entertainers I've talked to over the years. One thing that is interesting about you is that in my introduction, I talked about your different roles, and I and we're going to talk about your upcoming show as well, but I wanted to kind of get people that weren't aware of you to be aware of you and get a sense of you as a person and, a, and as a performer. Because you're a producer, a, di- a director, a choreographer, an entertainer, a playwright, and a songwriter, does it get challenging to try to have all these things going on at the same time? Or would you prefer to focus on one thing? No, it gets very challenging and very overwhelming. In my industry, you go where the work wants you to go. And (laughs) uh, I've just had so many different opportunities that uh, when one thing arises or comes up in the, in the course of my, my career and, and what I'm doing, sometimes it just happens to be a directing project. Other times it just happens to me, be me performing and another time it may be me consulting or teaching or so on and so forth and yes it does get overwhelming because you know some it, it's hard to just separate your brain um with what you need when you go to the grocery store let alone trying to figure out what angle of the of your you know creative abilities you're trying to put forward and so i'm constantly kind of switching roles and it is a wonderful thing to be able to do that because i've because I've been able to experience both sides of the table, it gives me flexibility and understanding um, collaboration, I guess. And that's that's the reason why I have so many hats is because I enjoy collaborating on many different levels. And that would be collaborating as a producer, as a director, as an actor, and just truly trying my best to be an artist and use the gifts that I have been given to uh, to share them and and not kind of focus just on one, but but use them all. And, and it, it does get overwhelming, but I do enjoy doing it. I think that's a healthy view of it. A lot of entertainers I've talked to who do more than one thing sometimes get frustrated because they're, they're not recognized for the one thing they would like to be recognized for, or they don't have time to specialize in the one thing that they would like to specialize in. But I think the opposite of that is what you expressed, which is you get a lot more work a lot more variety, and I think you stimulate all the creative aspects in your brain when you are doing these different things. Exactly that. I mean, you 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 nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's really it. It I, I find it to be exhilarating, actually, being able to kind of switch roles and um, and do different things, and and it opens up my um, the opportunities that I have to meet and work with different types of people in different ways. So. So I find it to be really, really cool. And also, too, you're not stuck in the mud in one spot. So 
you can't get caught, so to speak. What I mean by you can't get caught, if all of a sudden demand goes down for you as an entertainer, it goes up for you as a director. If it goes down for you as a director, it goes up for you as a producer, et cetera, et cetera. So as a result, you're on the move all the time. Yes, it can be frustrating and exhausting, but at the same time, they're never going to catch you. <laughs> I like that. I hope not. I don't think anybody's caught me yet, so <laughs> no. to speak. Um, and if they had, I hope that only you know goodness and 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 positive and creative and wonderful energies come from it. But I I think that's a really great way to put it. Another gentleman who I thought about and it's definitely connected with you, who had all these different talents, had all these different interests, did a lot of stuff, and someone that you actually did a show about, and that was Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, yes, absolutely. A piece of my heart. <laughs> yes, and, and one thing you said about Sammy Davis, you were talking about that he was somewhat controversial. And I wonder in today's quote-unquote cancel culture, whether someone as dynamic as Sammy Davis, would they try to cancel him because he went to a different way politically for a while? Or like, in other words... Are they going to overlook all of his contributions, all of his talents, all of the, the groundbreaking that he did and a lot of different things because he decided to go one way politically for a short period of time? Well, I, I think that, you know, Sammy, you know, he had a lot of different obstacles. And to tell you the truth, I think that in my mind's eye, having done all the research and, and just being a fanatic of his life and his artistic abilities, I think that he was probably one of the first large-scale, world-renowned artists to actually be a victim of some cancel culture. You know, um, uh, it's so interesting that in in our world now, people have this uh, feeling that this is something new. And I don't think it's new. I just think the scale of it and the the fact that there has been a, a name given to um, this kind of choice to oppose or support or deny or uh, feel and make people feel uncomfortable by calling it cancel culture. Just the fact that it exists on that level and has that name makes it seem like it's something new when actually it isn't. I think Sammy was a, a person who always, there were always obstacles for him. I mean, his TV show was canceled. Um, his, the the way that people looked at him and, and regarded him because of some of the things that he said were uh, he actually lost a lot of friends and lost a lot of of fans. Um, there were several moments in his career where he was shunned and people didn't support him. Um, looking at his whole career, it's one of those things where you go, oh my gosh, he was such a huge star. But every person who has that level of fame goes through their ups and downs. And I think that Sammy was definitely a person who experienced something that would be called cancel culture today. That's a, that, that's a very good point, Eric. In fact, now that I think about it, he is one of the few people that received the cancel culture from the first, from the, the right and then from the left. In other words, you're absolutely right. He was denied work and he was denied friendships and he was denied a lot of things from the right at one point. And then when he decided to support uh, Nixon, for example, he was then getting cancel culture from the left. So he's one of the few that I th- can think of that actually suffered it from both ends. I hate absolutely. I mean, and, and, you know, an example of that would be, you know, being married to my Brit, who was a, a, a white woman at that time in his life. 
Um, and in that time in American history, he was uh, a supporter of John F. Kennedy, and um, they were very excited about as the Rat Pack actually um, helped to campaign for the Kennedy campaign, I guess. <laughs> and, Correct. And um, when the inaugural dinner happened, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and all of the rest of the gang and the Rat Pack, they were very excited about having an invitation to the inaugural dinner. But Sammy and my Brit were famously denied an invitation because they were married and because people had problem with interracial relationships at that time, and let alone interracial marriages. But then on the other hand, he um, and there's cancel culture as well with people who who dismissed Sammy because of because just because of that. But um, but then on the other side, like you were mentioning with the Nixon hug, um, there were a lot of people who were offended by the fact that he just supported him as a person who was trying to get something done, meaning Sammy was in support of of Nixon reaching out and saying, help me, brother, so to speak. And so Sammy went over to Vietnam and did a lot of different things for our country. And regardless of the fact that, you know, Sammy wasn't supporting him for his political choices, he was actually supporting him for the things that he was doing. And so, yes, he did get it on both sides. <laughs> yeah, he did. And, and, uh, and the fact that he wasn't invited to the inaugural from John F. Kennedy, I mean, that was the liberal establishment telling him, well, you can't come. So Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's fascinating, fascinating. And you've obviously done a lot of research into Sammy Davis's life. Did you get a chance ever to meet any of his relatives, his wife, Altavis, or, or other people that were closely connected with him? Actually, I did. Back in 2003, the Sammy Davis Jr. estate did a nationwide or worldwide search for the next Sammy Davis Jr., and the idea was that they wanted to produce a show that had two individuals that were that would um you know uh, perform Sammy's most famous material one being a major tap dancer and the other being a vocalist slash actor and so in this national search i auditioned for it and i was very excited to get it and the um one of the major producers was Altavis Davis at the time so i did get to meet her and work with her, and we did several TV interviews together, and I've always been out there looking for them. I can't seem to find them anymore, so if you see one, <laughs> definitely <laughs> <please> let me know. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, because I keep looking for it. But um, but yes, I did meet Altavis, and um, you know, unfortunately, his daughter just passed away um, a, a few months ago, and I did get to meet her, and um, his son I've, I've met as well, and a lot of people of the, of the estate are very protective of his legacy as they should be. And um, I've had the opportunity to work with the estate very closely. So, so yes, I got as close as I could get. And, and um, they're, you know, wonderful people. Well, let's take a break. And then I want to come back and talk about this show coming up at The Space, which sounds interesting. My guest, Eric Jordan Young, takes the stage in In This Moment at The Space in Las Vegas with renowned pianist Philip Fortenberry to share songs, personal stories, and career highlights Saturday, March 13th at 6 p.m. Pacific time and also streamed live. For ticket information, go to thespacelv.com. And for everything about Eric Jordan Young, go to ericjordanyoung.com and you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at ericjordanyoung. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. 
think you know Vegas, but how much do you really know about this neon city? See the dark side of the bright lights at the Ma Museum where you can explore how a tough little town transformed into a gaming metropolis with a little help from organized crime. You won't find these stories of lawbreakers and law enforcement, mob bosses and prosecutors anywhere else. The Ma Museum in downtown Las Vegas. More information at themamuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with producer, director, choreographer, entertainer, playwright, and songwriter, Eric Jordan Young. He's taking the stage in In This Moment at the Space in Las Vegas with renowned pianist Philip Fortenberry to share songs and personal stories and career highlights. Saturday, March 13th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time and also streamed live. For ticket information, go to thespacelv.com. And for everything about Eric Jordan Young, go to ericjordanyoung.com. And you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Eric Jordan Young. And Eric, tell us a little bit about this show, because Philip has been on, the, on my show a couple of times in the past. He's a great guy, and he's going to be working with you on stage. How did you guys put this together, and how was the approach? Well, uh, you know, I love working with Philip. We go back pretty many years, actually. We worked together in New York City and had the opportunity to work on some different projects together. We worked on Seussical, the musical, the original company that was on Broadway. And then we did um, Ragtime as well together many years ago. So I've known um, Philip for quite some time. And when I moved out to Vegas, I knew that uh, I wanted to, you know, try and make sure that we work together in some way, shape or form. And, you know, we had this this past year was was just absolutely heartbreaking in many ways, but it also gave me the opportunity to figure out as a performer what it is that I like to, you know, communicate as as a person on stage and and how vulnerable can I be? Um, while presenting material and, uh, you know, singing and dancing and connecting with an audience. And there's no greater person than uh, kind of trying to figure that out with Philip Fortenberry. Then Philip Fortenberry, I just think he's magic on the keys. And we have a simpatico that um, not only goes back um, many, many years, but we just really like to, you know, kind of have a good time and laugh on stage and and feel comfortable. And that's what in this moment is all about. It's about truly um, the moment, which will be on March 13th. I don't know what that moment is going to be, but what we've put together is a program that celebrates what I uh, kind of what we did together over the past year during COVID. So I had two virtual concerts that I did which was an interesting experience to uh, to kind of jump in that world once COVID began. But then I also did um, two live performances as well. And I ventured out and we both did some new material that I had always wanted to kind of challenge myself to do. And we're going to bring some of that back as well as some new material and let the moment be um, what it is and um, just have a really good time. So. I'm excited about it because we each time we perform together, we seem to connect more and uh, deliver more as well. And of course, the challenge always is when you're 
performing for a virtual audience and an in-house audience, you've got to remember there are both of those audiences there. I know I've talked to performers who are doing virtual performances, and that's kind of one way they have to remember they're not getting the feedback they normally would from the crowd that's in front of them. So they have to work that out mentally. And there's others that just have the in-house crowd, so they know how to do that. And you're doing a hybrid, of course. So you're going to, you and Philip both kind of have to keep that in mind that you're performing both to the crowd in front of you and the crowd around the world. Yes, we do. And when I did my first virtual, I found myself getting very, very comfortable. So I had to be careful <laughs> of, <laughs> of uh, not forgetting that the, the virtual world was out there because oh, yes. um, I, was, I, was, I, I got very, very free, which is actually the whole point. You really want to be that free. And, um, and it, it, was, it was fun for me. Uh, I thought that it would be scarier than it was, but I actually really enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to doing it again. When you're working on making yourself more vulnerable on stage, you have to do something, I assume, beforehand to allow yourself to do that. What is your approach? Well, for me, the first question that I ask is why? Why do I want to do it? Why do I think that people want to see me? Um, wh why do I feel that I am offering an audience enough to sit there for a sustained amount of time and and watch me and listen to my stories and and invest in their, you know, attention. So once I get past that, um, I'm able to kind of, you know, find a level of confidence that that answers that question. And for the most time, mo most part, the answer is really, and I know that this may sound a little bit corny or, you know, artistic or artsy, but the answer is always love. And um, it's my my love for doing what I do, my love for the people that I'm doing it for, and my love for the craft itself. And I just remember that and it makes it all so much easier and keeps everything super honest because there's no faking it when you're just offering love. Yes, that's interesting because some people are frightened about revealing too much of themselves on stage. But if you're coming from a position of love, which, as you stated, that's where it is, you already have a comfort level. because Absolutely. Yeah, there's no artifice in that sense. I mean, yes, performance in itself is an artifice in a way, but you can have both. You can have an ability to share your true self on stage to a point and feel comfortable with it. And because you approach it with love, that's where you're able to pull that off. Right. And it makes it so much easier on your soul and on your, you know, if you happen to wake up that morning of the show and you're not really vocally feeling um, at your best, or if your body is feeling funky, or if your brain is in another place, you have to still figure out a way to to do it and to share um, your vision and to share your truth. And the only way that you can do that is, first of all, by loving yourself enough to know that you have something to share, but then also receiving the love that other people want and, uh, you know, or that they're offering you so that you can share and that there is this kind of reciprocal energy that's happening with my offering and then they're accepting and receiving and so on and so forth. So it makes it much easier when you're, when you're coming from a place of love. It really does.
And something you said about waking up vocally, and, and this gives me the opportunity to tell my regular listeners that, yes, it's pollen time again, so my voice is not all there. But you know what? I had an opportunity to talk with Eric, and I'm not going to give that up because my voice is bad. So there, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm revealing that. But something that you said has struck me as very profound, and that is you expect love in return. So that means you're very confident giving your love because you are expecting love and return. I mean, I don't, I don't think you realize how profound that is, because I think that defines in a way a lot of the challenges of the human condition. If you are hesitant about giving love or giving out love, because you're not sure that you're going to be accepted, that you may get rejected, then you're going to be less prone to do that. You're going into it with the thought that I'm anticipating or I'm expecting love back. That That's a very solid, healthy secure place to be. Well, I mean, when people show up into a dark space to watch, you know, someone expose themselves basically, you know, artistically on, on, a, on a stage, a platform, a pedestal, so to speak, the fact that they show up is already showing a form of love. So that's a part that, you know, I go, okay, well, they're here. So <laughs> they've shown up. So they're, they're already, um, you know, telling me that they care. So the least I can do is, is receive that. And, um, I mean, I, I have to receive it and then I have to offer my, um, my love for, for that, for their showing up, but then also for my craft and for myself back to them. And then they give it back to you again. Absolutely. And that's when the magic happens. That's when it's a ball of fire. That's when you walk out going, wow, that was so great. I, you know, I, I, I just, I felt like I was on, on stage and I was, um, a foot off the ground and the audience is saying, wow, that was great. I, I, the time went by so quickly and I just had such a good time, you know, so, so that, that's what you strive for. And, and the only way you can strive for that is if you're, you know, offering honesty and truth and, you know, being as, authentic as you possibly can with the with 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 what you're what you're doing on stage is there one signature piece that you would always perform no matter the show so for example in this moment at the space will be a a combination of things that you're going that you're going to work out with philip but is there one signature piece that you will always have in a show it's I love that you asked that question. I've never been asked that question. Um, yes, there, there have been pieces and moments that I have, um, you know, kind of tapped into that, that, that I have always loved and that I'm like, oh, I have to do this just because of my connection to it, but also because, um, the audience seems to really love it. And that's, I would always do Mr. Bojangles. As I get older, there are newer things that are starting to become things that I go, all right, well, I, I should do this too, because I'm realizing that people really like that as well. And, um, uh, that is, I, I did a song, I did a show called The Cocktail Cabaret with Keith Thompson and Philip Fortenberry actually at Caesar's Palace. And it was in Cleopatra's Barge and it was a great cast and we had an awesome time and it was a really, really fun and energetic show. Actually, we're doing it at the Italian. American Club on March 7th. I ended up singing as the world goes round and and that's something that has become sort of a another one that I like to do and 
And then Keith also wrote this song called I Will, I Can, which is um, in my back pocket as well. So usually it's Mr. Bojangles, but now I've started uh, kind of branching out a little bit and, and putting my fingerprint on a couple of other moments, so to speak. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Eric Jordan Young, who takes the stage in In This Moment at the Space in Las Vegas with renowned pianist Philip Fortenberry to share songs, personal stories, and career highlights. Saturday, March 13th at 6 p.m. Pacific time and also streamed live. For ticket information, go to thespacelv.com. And for everything about Eric Jordan Young, go to ericjordanyoung.com and you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Eric Jordan Young. And Eric, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I, I, I really appreciated this. Great. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Happy.